Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. In September 1976, a month before her 34th birthday, Jean found the thing she was sure would save her. It was called Life Spring, and Jean's parents, Colorado Baptists, did not approve. Life Spring was part of the Human Potential Movement, a for-profit self-improvement group like Landmark or Est that promised to help its followers attain the heights of happiness and success. Jean signed up for a five-day basic training course. There would be lectures and guided meditations, and she hoped to come away with clarity. Fred was on a long haul in Hawaii, overseeing a bunch of knuckleheads trying to dig a trench on the ocean floor. His marriage to Jean was at an all-time low. She told her friend Barbara Warner that she'd already broken things off with Dick. It was just too destabilizing, given how volatile things were with Fred. Jean filled out her life spring forms in big, loopy handwriting. Her main goal was to decide, quote, whether or not to dissolve my marriage of seven years, unquote. She was also hoping to disentangle herself emotionally from Dick. She noted that the affair had been going on for three years, but that she'd stopped the physical part of the relationship three months earlier. And one more thing, the affair was not the reason she was doubting her marriage. LifeSpring encouraged people to tune into exactly what they wanted, to wrest back control of their lives and experiences. Through meditation and insight training, they would realize they weren't lost. They already had the answers. The answers were inside them. The first step is to create a vision. A vision brings the future to life and 
provides a structure for laying new track. Declaring your vision is an act of freedom which releases you from the past. What makes my life Jean was hoping that LifeSpring would be transformational. And it was. So much so that, soon after completing the basic course, she signed up to do the advanced. The clarity she'd been after? She'd found it. She was dialed in on the life she wanted. How would your relationships be different if you lived your life based on your own heartfelt vision? What concerns Forget what she'd have? said about moving on from Dick. She'd meditated on it, and she knew she wanted him back. The number one thing she wanted to work on at the advanced training was, quote, setting myself up for my future with Dick Felthoen, unquote. Number two was, quote, getting out of my marriage as pleasantly as possible, unquote. She continued in full-blown fantasy and self-actualization mode, quote, I will eventually be married to Dick, have his present three children, and will totally be happy. Of course, I plan on him attending LifeSpring, unquote. She flew her daughters to the Midwest and dropped them off with Fred's parents. She had the answer. It had been inside her all along. Now she just needed to execute the plan. I'm Dana Goodyear, and this is Lost Hills. Episode 4, The Shallow End, Part 2. LifeSpring was founded in 1974 by a man named John Hanley. LifeSpring was slick and corporate, self-actualization for yuppies. Participants would pay several hundred dollars for a training, which was five days of lectures, group work, and meditation. There's a whole network of these training programs that were all kind of the same approach, which was take people who are really vulnerable, who are looking for some meaning in their life, who are trying to put themselves together, bring them together in a big room, tear them apart, bring them down to just zero, and then rebuild them. This is Mark Fisher, an editor at The Washington Post, who wrote about LifeSpring in the 80s. He actually went through the basic training as a reporter. The cell is, you've got all kinds of problems in your life, you're really not happy. We're going to guide you to understanding who you really are, what you're about, and how you can succeed in every way that you want to. LifeSpring would consider it an honor to assist you in creating and implementing your vision. Our commitment is that you experience a profound shift in your ability to relate to yourself and to others. It says we're going to get rid of all the stuff that weighs you down, that makes you uh, unable to be happy, unable to succeed. And once we trash that, we're going to get to the core of who you really are, which is something good, and we're going to build on that. LifeSpring was different from some of its uh, competitors and fellow children of, of, of that uh, world of training in that LifeSpring was much rougher, especially in its early years. It was a, uh, an often brutal kind of approach. 
There were confrontational encounters involving personal insults and humiliation. But then, on the other side of that, there were guided meditations that could be extremely powerful. You're in a room with a couple hundred people, and everyone closes their eyes, and there's some soft music, and you're taught to relax, and it's almost kind of a, 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 kind of a hypnosis uh, procedure. And then the leader, the trainer, tells you a story, a very emotionally evocative story, usually about something in someone's childhood uh, that uh, gets people really teary and you get this sort of group cry going on in the room. And you build, as the music builds, to a a moment of of extraordinary catharsis. And uh, it's kind of a weep-a-rama, and it's a hugely powerful moment in the room. For some people, it was great. For others, it was devastating. One of the trainees told me when I was uh, in the program um, that LifeSpring was an enema of your emotions. And for some people, that's enormously dangerous, and that's where some of uh, the casualties come from. That was LifeSpring's term for people who had tremendous emotional and physical damage from the program. They called them casualties. They also called them wackos and basket cases. And those were their terms for people who suffered um, really ill effects from the LifeSpring training. By the early 80s, dozens of trainees had sued LifeSpring. Six trainees had died. At the end of each training, the trainer would have to file uh, what LifeSpring called incident reports. And those uh, would describe trainees who became panicky, uh, who uh, had visions or um, regressed to the womb. And so some of those people ended up in psychiatric hospitals and some of them um, became suicidal. After trainings, people sometimes experienced a LifeSpring high a kind of manic state that could spiral precipitously into depression. Many trainees lost extreme amounts of weight. Weight loss was actually kind of a promise of the program, an outward sign of self-mastery. Jean was always slim, 5'8", 120 pounds. But in the weeks between her basic training and the advanced, she was down to 109. Then, Fred says, she dropped to under 100 pounds. And she started saying strange things about out-of-body experiences and seeing the future. She would say things to me like, you know, I don't have to look in the rearview mirror of the car anymore because I know when there's a car behind me. And I would say, that's fine, but for me, Heidi, and Kirsten, and you, would you please look in the rearview mirror before you change lanes just to confirm what you already believe? Gene was nagging him to try LifeSpring to make the divorce go more smoothly. And he had noticed some benefits. She'd become more loving toward the kids, he wrote, and also, quote, less materialistic. She tried to sell the Jaguar after she wrecked it and had it fixed, unquote. And then uh, I finally gave up and said, okay, sign me up, I'll go too. And so I was scheduled to do that in, I think, November or December of that year. In early October, right after Jean completed her second life spring course, Fred returned from Hawaii to celebrate Jean's birthday. A few days later, Jean wrote to her sister Carol. Her tone was giddy. Carol was into life spring too and knew the lingo. Jean confided that she'd done some extracurricular meditating and, quote, 
asked if I would see Dick this year. Got a yes answer, so I proceed to ask, when? The answer, Jean wrote, came in a vision involving white specks and the number 22. Then, she wrote, out of nowhere, she'd started singing, Sleigh Bells Ring, Are You Listening? Did that mean she'd be with Dick by Christmas? As for Fred, it seemed like problem solved. It's all out with Fred and I, she wrote. He came out and asked where we stood, so I laid it all on him. He had tears in his eyes, but the whole situation is progressing fantastically. He's terrifically understanding, just knew it anyway, but wouldn't admit it to himself. She told her sister they'd planned to do the divorce cheaply through UCLA aid. They'd still spend holidays together and share childcare. She told another friend that Fred had unexpectedly conceded to her on every point. They'd sell the house, split the money, and she would be free. He even told her she could have custody of the kids. Of course, it would mean a shift in lifestyle. She told her friend Patty Lytell that supporting two households in Malibu on their salaries would be out of the question. Here's Patty speaking to an investigator. And another thing that she told me is that uh, if she, if they split up, there's no way that they could afford to keep the house. And I think that he, you know, he liked living there and he liked the house. Separately, neither one of them could afford it. So That's what she told me. She said something about getting a roommate. You know, I'd have to get somebody to live in here. Share the room. Yeah, or whatever. In the letter to her sister, Jean explained that Fred would be moving out soon to a rental property they owned in Oxnard. Coincidentally, it was four blocks away from Dick and Linda Velthoen's house. Guess that's the way it's supposed to be, she wrote. Around this time, Jean's friend Candy Hinman says she ran into Jean at the bank. She said that she finally made her decision, and I was so proud of her and happy for her that she was going to leave. She says that Jean told her her marriage was over and that she would soon be free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash loss today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash lost. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History. If you've watched a professional tennis match recently, you'll know that fans had this amazing new tool at their disposal. It was created by the consulting company Infosys and the Association of Tennis Professionals. It's an immersive 3D viewing experience for tennis fans, which allows them 
to watch matches from new angles, get real-time statistics, and better understand the inner workings of the game and its athletes. Basically, a completely new, data-driven way to appreciate a tennis match. It's been a huge hit, and I'm proud to say that the Infosys Tennis Platform earned first place in the customer experience category at the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event held at Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas that celebrates customers who've boldly innovated for the sake of meaningful change. And I think it's important to point out that innovation like this doesn't just require a great idea and exploit some great underlying technology. It takes courage. Because tennis is a game with a long history and some pretty powerful traditions. I mean, you can only wear white at Wimbledon. Still, it's the 21st century. And here was an idea that said we can dramatically change the way a fan watches a match. We can feed them data. We can allow them to see things they could never see before with the naked eye, or even conventional camera angles. If you want to turn a world upside down, you have to have a pretty strong backbone. That's a lot of what the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards are all about. Finding people and companies who show that kind of boldness. I encourage you to enter. It's a fantastic event and a great way to be recognized for your brave, outside-the-box thinking in front of the industry's most influential leaders. And an even better way to say, I told you so. You can enter by July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. This whole time, Fred says, he and Jean were not on the brink of divorce. He was not about to move out. They were working things out for him to stay. So add that to the list of things he says Jean's friends got wrong. No choking, no violence, no imminent divorce. Oh, and the gun, which Jean reportedly moved over to Verna's house? Fred later wrote, quote, My only pistol was still in my house on Calpine when Jean died. Unquote. On October 5, 1976, Jean turned 34. Ten days later, on October 15th, she left the house early to fly a turnaround to Chicago, all the way from L.A. to Chicago and back in one long 12-hour stretch. So she flew to Chicago and then uh, flew back in the same day. And so she got back that night, uh, after Heidi had her surgery. 
Their older daughter, Heidi, was in the hospital getting her tonsils removed. Fred had spent the day with her there. Heidi had to stay at the hospital that night. After Jean got home from Chicago and they put their toddler, Kirsten, to bed, she and Fred had the evening to themselves. And Jean said, asked me to go ahead and uh, turn on the hot tub, and uh, uh, she had already poured a glass of wine, and then I carried the other wine out to the, uh, to the tub. Fred liked the hot tub hot. He cranked it up to 104, 105, he says, and got in. He filled his glass and started to drink. Jean was still inside, talking on the phone with a friend. A pretty normal conversation for Jean in those heady days, when she believed she had psychic powers. She told her friend she'd try to see what her friend's ex was up to the next time she meditated. Then, according to her friend, Jean said she had to go. Fred was waiting in the hot tub, and she said, you know how he gets when he has to wait. Fred says he and Jean finished the bottle of wine together in the tub. And I was out there when she came out, uh, and... We, we sort of killed off that bottle. Gene wanted more wine, he says, and asked him to go inside for another bottle and change the baby while he was at it. He left her in the hot tub and went to Kirsten's room. So it was a fairly warm night, and, you know, like uh, the, the windows in Kirsten's bedroom were open. Everything was quiet. We had a German shepherd that was ours called Uta, U-T-A. And then we had, we had basically inherited a dachshund from the people across the street, the Morgensterns. Their their little dachshund male was uh, named Geronimo, and he was infatuated with uh, Uta, who was a female. So uh, they hung out together, and sometimes he stayed over there and uh, with us. So I went in and changed Kirsten, and then I got another bottle of wine, and when I walked out, uh, there was uh, Uta and Geronimo both with their paws on the edge of the pool, and and Jean was floating face down in the pool, and I was stunned. I just, you know, it was just the wrong picture. I couldn't imagine that. Jean, he said, had left the hot tub and walked 10 or 12 feet over to the swimming pool and now she was face down in the shallow end. He said he found her with her arms spread wide and floating on the surface. So I pulled her out and yelled for our neighbor. Their bedroom was closest to our property line. So he heard me and I said, you know, call Leon uh, quick. Leon Morgenstern, a spleen surgeon at Cedar sinai was awakened by a knock at the door around 1045. He put a bathrobe on over his pajamas and hurried to the railers, where he found Fred giving Jean CPR by the side of the pool. They were both naked. Uh, He came over and helped me with uh, CPR, and then the uh, fire department came and uh, loaded us up and uh, took us to the hospital. When they left for the hospital, Jean's heart was beating, but she wasn't breathing. She was comatose. Yeah, she was uh, she was breathing with a machine to start with, or or later I think she was on a, a, a ventilator, uh, but she you know she d- didn't come out of the coma. She was uh, 
she looked like she was sleeping. And, you know, I would sit with her and hold her hand. Uh, her hands were warm. Uh, it would be just like she was sleeping. And what was going through your mind during that time, sitting with her? Oh, everything in the world, uh, all the way from, you know, what happened, uh, how could this have happened, why didn't the dogs bark? Uh, I could only assume that she had told them to be quiet or else they would have been barking if she had been, if, I think if they would have sensed that she was in distress, they would have been barking. I never really understood that. And then uh, uh, I didn't get much sleep that first night. I basically just sat in the waiting room and and cried. When did you know in your heart she was going to die? Well, when the neurologist uh, was a young man, very nice, uh, he basically said, took us to one side and said, look, you know, this is considered brain death. Jean was taken off the ventilator on October 21st. The official cause of death was pneumonia as a result of drowning in the family pool. She had no other injuries. And just like with Verna, Fred was the only witness, unless you count the family dog. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards that's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? 
When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The L.A. coroner said Jean's death was an accident, no foul play. But there were plenty of people who had their doubts. One of the doctors who treated Jean at the hospital later said he felt suspicious of Fred. He didn't understand why this woman had drowned. Her family and friends felt the same way. Jean was an excellent swimmer, a good athlete in general. It was the small details that didn't sit right. For instance, there was talk that the shock of going from a very hot tub into a cold pool could have somehow contributed to her death. But plunging in the pool did not seem like something Jean would do. The biggie to me is, I have never known Jean in my life to jump in a pool. She always kept me toed in. We lived right across from the pool and we were in an apartment. I, uh, for the life of me, I'll never figure that one out. How she got in the pool. That's Barbara Warner, her old roommate. And the dogs, their presence in the story seemed odd, unbelievable to people who knew the family. I thought it was unusual because um, Fred always kept the dogs tied up. Patty Lytell didn't understand what the dogs were doing at the pool in the first place. Yeah, because they were tied up by the back door, and I could be wrong, but I always got the impression that Fred wasn't too crazy about the dogs, and after his wife died, I think one of them got killed and the other was given away. Fred had Jean cremated, and he scattered her ashes at sea, though her family was afraid to go on the water. Jean's parents held a memorial service on land. Barbara Warner remembered Fred's behavior at the service as noticeably strange. After the memorial service, I went through the reception line, and he, he held me very tightly and said, I have to talk to you, I have to talk to you. And I said, fine, you know, pulled me aside, and virtually told me verbatim what happened that evening. Uh-huh. At least that was his rendition of what happened. Um, as I think back on it, at the time, I was, I was, of course, I was so emotionally upset at the time. I thought, oh, okay, wonderful. You know, that doesn't help much. Uh-huh. Um, I really think he had that story so down pat, and he rattled it off so fast with so little emotion that I thought, 
But see, in my mind, I always thought something was wrong with it anyway. So I was preconditioned. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I think he had to make sure I was buying his story. And I believe that to this day. Uh -huh. That he had to be sure I wasn't going to question anything that was going on. To Candy Hinman, there was no question as to his guilt. When I knew for sure that he did do it was when I went to Gene's funeral. And he walked up, and his whole, everything around him seemed black, dark. And his face, his look, his, everything was just darkness. And I knew without a doubt that he had done it. He just looked wicked and evil. You know, this dark face in my face. And coming over and being friendly and chatty, and I was thinking, you're a murderer. Why are you even talking to me? Jean's sisters, Carol and Linda, were the most unnerved. Carol later said she'd reached out to the district attorney's office to ask them to investigate. But the office scared her by saying that Fred could sue for defamation of character. She gave it up. There was one more person who was deeply disturbed by all of this. Verna Johnson, the woman who would become Fred's second wife. Michelle Williams went to see Verna when they found out Jean was in a coma in the hospital. Verna was <laughs> Jean's very closest friend at that time, and Verna and I were also close. Verna's husband, Bill, had been an electrical contractor. He died less than a year earlier, after falling from the roof of an eight-story building in Westwood, where he was working. He had been depressed, and it looked like a suicide, but no one really knew for sure. I went down and sat with Verna because I knew how close she was to Jean, and Verna had losses. Verna was really spooked. The whole thing with Jean reminded her of some of the exercises from the LifeSpring training Jean couldn't stop talking about. Guided meditations involving water and death. When I went down to talk to Verna that night that Jean, you know, or the night after whatever, Jean had become unconscious, you know, had drowned. Verna told me that Jean had gone to this life spring weekend and that um, Jean had told Verna that she had um, imagined her own death over a waterfall and that it troubled Verna now that, th that Jean had drowned. It was an eerie resonance and one Fred would circle back to repeatedly. He noted that Jean had spoken about a guided meditation she'd done in her LifeSpring workshop that was focused on death and dying. She told him she'd envisioned a quiet pool of water and a tombstone with no date on it. Jean believed she could see the future, and it turned out she could, with one small caveat. She thought the vision meant she would never die. Hinman didn't stay mad at Fred for long. She noticed he did have some good attributes. Tall, good build, dark hair, I think. Just a handsome man. She thought an adventuresome friend of hers, Gail Carmichael, might like him, despite the drama over Jean's death. He was. He was very attractive, and he had such charisma. And she also was that way. Um, 
Nothing scared her. I had told her what I thought had happened prior, but that everybody else thought he was innocent. Everybody in town was just so upset over what happened to Jean, and nobody had any any idea that it was related to Fred. And, and everybody at that time was touting how wonderful he was. Fred told an investigator how Candy had played matchmaker with Gail. And let's be clear, this is Fred's version of their wild first date. Shortly after Jean died, she said, you know, when you're ready to, in essence, get back into circulation and so forth, let me know. Uh, he said, well, why don't you consider coming over and having dinner? And I said, okay. And I said, is this a kid's thing? Can I bring the kids? She said, oh, yeah. So I went over with the kids. And so I went over, uh, and this while I'm parking our old Ford, this lady pulls up in her pink Cadillac, Seville, whatever the year was, brand new one. She got out of the car and the lights are still on. So I said, you know, your lights are still on. She said, yeah, the car will turn the lights out in a minute. Things like that went on. So we went in and had a fairly stilted initial type of thing. She smoked and, and I don't smoke, and it was one of those things. And she seemed to be a little bit aloof, and I was a bit apathetic. Well, uh, as the evening went on, and as the liquor got quicker, more or less, uh, I know we had wine to start with, and we had uh, warm fuzzies, which is a uh, like a cappuccino type of a thing with cola in it mm. and cream and everything. Maybe those now. Yeah, they were wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we had a little bit of uh, marijuana, a couple of joints. Uh, and then the rest of it got really gray until we were taking each other's clothes off and, and thrashing about under the coffee table. And I'm going, I don't really believe this is going on. And the other people had already left, and the kids were obviously already in bed. This was, you know, in the three hours of the morning. And we tried to get in there in the hot tub, and the hot tub was too hot. We really like, couldn't get in there with like a hydrogen or something, so we screwed up the thermostat. So we drove up to my place and spent the rest of the morning and so forth. Uh, I guess it was probably around noon when she finally left. And I can still remember saying, you think we know each other well enough that I could get your phone number and call you? Uh, and we had talked a lot that morning <clears throat> about our lives and, and where we were coming from and all these types of things. Uh, and it was very unusual, I mean, needless to say, to, to have it happen like that. Mm-hmm. And then. Gail, Fred said, uh, introduced him to her psychiatrist. Dr. Paul Remus. And she was telling me that she was in therapy with uh, an analyst who was really good and thought that I should do that because uh, the guy uh, was really an interesting person. And I he started taking Wednesdays off, he told the investigator. So I was taking off Wednesdays, every Wednesday. And I would go down and see Gail and uh, have an omelet with her. And we would... Uh, normally have sex, and then in the afternoon I would go over and have my head worked on by Remus, and I would go home in the afternoon. Tough schedule. Yeah, quite nicely, actually. It was a tough schedule. So it would be a brunch, and then she had a hot tub in the... According to Candy, the relationship ended abruptly. 
And she said that at one point they were having conversation, and um, I think this was after she'd seen him one or two times and they were intimate one morning, and he said, have you ever done anything that you couldn't change and you felt bad about, but you could never change it? She thought he was confessing to killing his wife. And she just said she just froze with that and did not go on anymore with that conversation and was pretty sure that what I thought was right. And she didn't see him anymore. But Fred says that's not true. There was a different reason things didn't work out with Gail. It was just too much to juggle. The hard part was trying to keep Gail and Myrna separate in a physical sense and in a mental thing, trying to really decide which of these two people I really want to pursue my life with. And it was very heavy. Fred was in a dilemma because just months after Jean's death, he wasn't only seeing Gail. He was dating Verna, too. Coming up on the next episode of Lost Hills, Verna's sister has concerns. I said, are you sure things, you know, are okay? And she said, yes. She said, Fred and I have talked at length about it. He's gone over the, the accident with me. But I was concerned for my sister because I thought, you know, I don't want her to get involved with something that, you know, would tear both of them apart later on. That's next in episode five. Who would you take? Lost Tales is written and reported by me, Dana Goodyear. It's created by me and Ben Adair and produced by Western Sound and Pushkin Industries. Subscribe to Pushkin Plus and you can hear the whole season ad-free and get early access to the final two episodes. Find Pushkin Plus on the Lost Tales show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. 
Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.